We've been in a series, Seven Churches of Revelation, The Unveiled Calling. And today we're going to be talking about Pergamum. We're going to begin reading with Scripture, Revelation 2, beginning with verse 12. Revelation 2, beginning with verse 12. We return to our first love. We stayed, we're, we're staying the course. Today, we've got to resist and defeat the devil. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, and it's called Pergamos in some places and Pergamum in others because of the way the ancient writers wrote it. They, some wrote it in the masculine tense and some wrote it in the other, but I'm going to refer to it as Pergamum today. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Everybody say the word of God. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. How would you like to be from a place known as where Satan dwells? or where Satan's throne is. But he goes on to say, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give you some hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Pergamum, the place of Satan's throne. As I started to study this city, I was amazed by the history of this city, not just the history of it, but how this particular city and the throne of Satan, the throne of Zeus, how it's affected the world for generations to come. In this first century, it was where Satan dwelled. In the 20th century, this altar of Zeus that was in Pergamum was the same used by Adolf Hitler. It inspired Hitler. Pergamum was the political center of the Roman Empire. We would call it the capital in American culture. Antipas, the martyr mentioned there, was the bishop, and he was ordained by John who wrote this particular letter. He was martyred on the altar of Zeus. Let me tell you how they did that. They had a hollow bronze bull with horns and holes in the head of the bull. And so when they would um, murder someone or they would sacrifice someone, they would tie them into this bronze bull in a way where their head was in the bull's head. And then they would start a fire beneath this hollow bronze bull and as the body of Christians would begin to cook and they would moan in agony, it would come through the horns or the holes of the head of the bull and it would, you could hear the moaning and it was considered an act of worship. Sick. And when they killed this particular martyr, 
this bishop of, of the church there, they say he was praying for his church right up until the moment when he died. When I hear stories like this, I feel almost unworthy to do what I do. We look at Christianity and American culture so differently than the people of that century. And, and our early church fathers were literally every day they could be murdered and tortured for what they believed in. What we take for granted, what we have the freedom to do in the United States of America, they literally died so that we would have the freedom to do what we're all doing together today, coming together to worship and honor Jesus. In the 19th century, German engineers dismantled this particular throne and took it back to Berlin. In 1930, it was moved to a museum just in time for Adolf Hitler to be inspired by it, which led to the murder of six million Jews who were also burned. Gas chambers. It was called the Holocaust, which meant holy burnt animal sacrifice. The brain behind this was a guy named Albert Speer. He was the Nazi party's chief architect. And he used it for the Nuremberg rallies. And they called these particular rallies that Hitler would speak at the Cathedral of Lights because even though they didn't have the technology we have now in the 30s, lights would literally shine. It would look like they were shining down from heaven and it gave this murdering demonic picture of Antichrist a look like he was God. And you know, I, I choose not to be political, but if you look back in the last 16 years in politics in our country, and you look at a few conventions, it looks just like Pergamum. And it's very scary. The demonic activity and the occult activity that's taking place in our own nation, and we aren't even aware of it. I realize spiritual warfare for some of you that have just now started attending church, and, and, and maybe you know very little about the Bible, you just know that Jesus loves you and you're forgiven and you're learning as you go. Spiritual warfare can seem very weird. I can remember when my dad started operating in spiritual warfare. I was like in middle school and high school. And being raised a Baptist in a small town, the preacher's son, uh, with the father cast a pretty large shadow, uh, you know, it was a little embarrassing. I mean, people coughing up demons and chaos going on all the time. That's just not something that's going to make you popular at your public high school. Um, and all this spiritual warfare stuff was going on. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't really buy into it. Maybe it was because I had sin in my life. And there's a number of reasons it could have been, but I just didn't really, I didn't really like it. And I thought, I'm just going to stay away from that because, you know, that's really not for me. And so I, I, I was dating a girl that my father wasn't a fan of at the time. And uh, there were a lot of history there. I'm not picking on this individual person. Uh, there was just a lot of history there. And my father didn't want me to be with this particular individual because he felt demonic activity around it. He just didn't feel like it was good for me. And a funny story about that, uh, I wanted to get my ears pierced. And my dad said, well, if you break up with this crazy girl, I'll let you get your ears pierced, you know. And so I didn't, but about five months later I did and came back with my ears pierced and dad told me I looked like the daughter he always wanted, you know. And, um, and Kelly and I got married and 
I had my hair bleached and you know, I had them, I had them uh, what are they called, horseshoes, 14 gauges. Listen, I know, okay. Um, but Kelly made me take them out for Trey's baby picture. So I've been earring free ever since. You know, I've looked like a Baptist ever since, okay. Um, but interesting picture of what was going on there. There wasn't anything wrong with this person I dated. I don't want to get into all that. However, there was history there. there. There were things that had happened to her and so forth and so on. And my father's issue with the whole relationship was he felt like there was something there. And he felt like my gift of mercy and compassion was causing me to get myself in a mess. And so I didn't believe in this warfare stuff. I thought dad was a crazy kook like Sammy, you know, who was hanging out with him a lot at the time, making things worse, you know. And so one day I, I was in a situation and this particular person's voice began to change. And it took on a whole different type of look. And it was like something was speaking through this person and it just kept saying, help me, help me, help me, just help me. It was the scariest thing ever. And I called my dad because he had warned me that it was this my gift of compassion, the enemy was attacking me through my gift. And I always say this, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. If your strength is people, you're more vulnerable to the hurt people can bring to your life. If your gift is money, it's also your weakness usually. The enemy will use your strength to defeat you. Spiritual warfare is real. Demons are real. Demons are supernatural beings who oppose God and his people. They oppose his work. The devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's a thief. He wants to steal God's plan, God's purpose. He wants to destroy God's church. The devil wants to kill your dreams. Ephesians tells us that our three biggest problems are the world, our flesh, and the devil. The world, even though Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and he remains defeated, and the only problem with spiritual warfare is we build up the devil more than Jesus. He's been defeated, but you have to take authority over him. And this is his area. While his throne may have been in Pergamum, this world is his only place to reign, convince, control, and harm you. So if you don't have your armor on and you don't know God's word, the enemy will defeat you. I don't believe he's behind every bush, but the enemy wants to destroy you and he'll do it through the world. He can do it through your, your decisions. Some things aren't the devil. You just made a bad decision. And there are consequences for your bad decisions. Principalities and powers. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers. Now, I don't think we will ever truly be able to grasp theologically what principalities and powers mean. But when I look at the political system of, systems of this world, and I look, you need to understand that the enemy is organized he is structured. There are different layers and levels of demons. There are different, there are different uh, methods used and strategies used to destroy you, to destroy churches, to destroy people. He uses organized religion. He, the enemy even knows how to use the Bible 
to defeat you and to divide you in these principalities and powers. It's a structure, structured in such a way that it, that it can be in the music system of our day. It can be in the political system of our day. It's in the government, in the banking cartels. The enemy controls these things. And that's why we may not be under the threat of death today, but our calling during this time in which we live is very serious. It's very serious. And we need to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to what God's trying to do in our lives. So first, the struggle we face. As I said, there, were, there was an altar of Zeus there, this demonic altar that Hitler would use later that many people have tried to copy. But there were also three temples to Caesar there. There was a goddess named Athena that they thought protected the city. All kinds of things going on. The Bible would say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Not everybody that prophesies is of Jesus. Cast out demons in your name. Just because you've heard someone cast out demons and you try to do it, doesn't mean you're anointed to do it or you even know Jesus. Done many wonders in your name. And you know how that ends. It says, depart from me, I, I never knew you. You see, that, that's the problem. It, it's not that somehow God doesn't love us. It's that when Satan fell, and we read about that in Ezekiel, and he became the emperor of this world, and the principalities and powers took over, do you understand that God loves every one of us? He died for us, but when Lucifer fell from the sky... He, he fell out of relationship. Not only did he fall out of relationship, God, ne God never remembered him. So when you are under the control of Lucifer, when you're under control of the enemy, when you're involved in the occult and demonic activities and Eastern mysticism, it, it, it's not that you're struggling with your salvation. It's that he doesn't know you. He doesn't know who you are. And he won't know who you are on judgment day. James chapter 1, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God of the fathers, this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. So there's a struggle we face. The struggle is our struggle with our flesh and this world and demonic activity. The struggle we face. Now, the sins we fight. The sins we fight. How many of you say I've struggled in my flesh this week? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. But I love you and, and God's got a plan for your life, okay? The sins we fight. There's two false doctrines mentioned in the text. The doctrine of Balaam, what is this? Let me get simple with it. Numbers 22 and 23, read it when you get home. This doctrine is quite simply that you can dance with the devil. That you can be in covenant with the devil. He must be resisted. He must be defeated. He must be resisted at all costs. You cannot dance with the devil. You cannot come in covenant with demonic things, you can't fall in love with this world or the things of this world. It's okay to, to love certain things, to have hobbies. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not legalistic. But you cannot fall in love with this world. This cannot be your heaven. 
If you want to live a life free from the devil, let me give you some advice. Number one, don't follow Jesus. If you want to live a life free from the devil, don't follow Jesus. Always, one of the things I struggled with as a teenager, because I always wrestled, because I was saved, but I was tempted, and then I would make mistakes. Part of it was growing up, and then I would do things for God, and I couldn't figure it all out. And it, it always would bother me when I would see these other, you know, kids. And it's like they were like the happy-go-luckies. Like they had a clear mind. When, when I tried to do those things, I didn't have a clear mind. Like it affected me. And I was always jealous that it didn't affect them. But it affected me, and I always blamed it on being a PK. But it had nothing to do with being a PK. It had to do with having God on the inside of you. And if you don't want the devil to attack you, don't follow Jesus Christ. Don't get up there and make a public confession of your faith in the baptismal waters. Don't, don't share your faith. Don't get in the ring. Don't get in the game. Don't get in the race. Because the moment you commit to doing things for Jesus Christ and you get in the arena, the devil puts his target on you and wants to destroy you and defeat you and condemn you and make you feel guilty and keep you from your destiny. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. Then the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This is the establishment of religion. This is that religion and the order, the, the, the clerical order of the church, which is organized like the principalities and powers, by the way, but I won't, it'll really mess you up, so we won't go there today. But if you fall in love with a system of religion more than Jesus, that's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There's nothing wrong. I've had people, I don't believe in organized religion. I say, what do you believe in, unorganized religion? You talk about chaos, nothing wrong with organized religion as long as it's organized and Jesus is at the head. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They placed people above God. They placed rules over relationship. They placed duty over doctrine. Constantine in the early 4th century brought paganism into the church made Christianity a state religion and forced armies to be baptized and did all of this stuff. Brought paganism into the church. I won't get Greg Collins on it. He'll start preaching about the Easter Bunny back there or something. You know, he takes it too far. But he's right about most of it. I just don't let him preach it. I'm trying to reach people. Leave me alone. <laughs> but he brought paganism into the church in the fourth century. Listen, I'm thankful for my Catholic friends. I just don't agree with you that I got to go through an intermediary to get to my Jesus. I just don't believe it. I respect it. I just don't believe it. And I'll go when invited. I enjoy it. But I don't believe you need me to get to Jesus. And I don't need you. But together, amen, we can be in his glory. Next, the separation we fear. We fear being separated from the world. If we're being honest with one another, we fear not being worldly. We all do. We fear not being accepted by the world. We fear not being affirmed by the world. We fear not having a pat on our back for the work we do. We fear those things. We fear being alone. 
We fear being separated from the world. But we ought to fear being separated from God. But we live in fear. We live in fear of separation. This is what the text says. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So there's a separation that we fear. We must be willing to separate, walk away, repent, disconnect, and trust God in the process. I'm going to teach you on that Wednesday night if you'll be here. Sometimes you've got to know when to walk. Somebody say amen. Sometimes you've got to know when to walk. This is what Philippians says, for many... Walk, <laughs> of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Oh yes, there's a separation we fear, but I close today with the shepherd that we follow. Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 1 Peter 2 verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then our own text says, Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I don't know about you, but I don't want God fighting me. Amen? I'd rather just stay in this fight with the enemy till he comes. I don't want God fighting against me. I don't want to be on God's bad list. And we've learned that the way to get on that list is hold to the doctrine that you can dance with the devil or you can be in love with the world. We can't do those things. We have to be separated. And we all struggle with this. We fear it. We fear being different. We fear being judged. We fear losing our lives for the things of the gospel. We can't live in fear. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to fight the enemy. We've got to rebuke the enemy. We've got to resist the enemy. We've got to take our nation back. And we've got to take the church back. And we've got to do it together. Our call is great. Following the shepherd brings honor. Antipas is mentioned here as a memorial by God through his word. Wouldn't it be something to be remembered by God as faithful? I hope God remembers me. Wouldn't you love to be remembered in God's word for something you did? He did. No act of service, obedience, seed, love that comes from the heart gets by God. If you're faithful this morning, God sees it. If you've loved somebody this morning, God sees it. If God's called you and you've been obedient, God sees it. If you stood out there yesterday, all day, 
to raise money for some kids, God sees it. If you visited people this week and prayed for them, God sees it. No act of obedience gets by him. The Bible says Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and is praying for us right now. I don't believe that our fight is out of his hands because of the blood of Jesus. We've already won the victory. Somebody say amen. And if I could tell you one thing, you already won. You already won. Listen, there's a ton of things about warfare, but here's the deal. When Jesus said to tell us die, it is finished, he meant it. We've won the victory. Somebody say amen. All you have to do is just remind the devil, resist the devil, and repent when you fall short of God's glory. I'm going to close right here. He says, to him who has an ear, let him hear. To him who overcomes. Everybody say, I'm an overcomer. He will give us hidden manna to eat. That's intimacy. You overcome, you resist the enemy, you fight the devil, you beat the devil. You claim the blood of Jesus. God's going to start giving you revelation he doesn't give everybody. God's going to start speaking to you in a way that he doesn't speak to everybody else. How many of you want to see things differently? How many of you are tired of the same old, same old, same old? God will give you revelation, man. God will speak to you. He will give you dreams and vision and the power to do that which he's called you to do. You got to stand. Stand on the word of God. Plead the blood of Jesus. And then it says the white stone. And this is a good place for me to land. He says, I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. According to theologians, this white stone was given to a man after he'd been acquitted of a crime. It was to be a testimony or a reminder, this white stone, that he was not guilty. Isn't that what Romans teaches us? We're not guilty. We're redeemed, bought with a price, so you might be in front of the courts of the enemy today and the devil may be saying you're a loser, you're a nobody, you can't beat that sin, you can't beat that addiction, you can't beat that struggle, you can't beat those things that happened to you when you were little and some of you just need to, to remember a bloody cross and just stand up and say not guilty. Not guilty. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. They also gave this stone to slaves that had been set free. You're no longer a slave to fear. Let me tell you, you're no longer a slave to the things of this world. You've been set free. It was also given as a covenant between friends. It was called the Tessera Hospitalis. Two male friends or soldiers who'd served together and who'd fought together, if they had to, to, to be split up, if they had to move to different parts of the country, they would give each one of these soldiers a stone, this white stone, and they'd keep it. Sometimes they'd die many years later. And their grandsons would get the stone. And hundreds of years later, their covenant would be renewed because of the white stone. I tell you, I know a story in the Bible about a little, little crippled boy named Mephibosheth who was living in a dry place called Lodabar, man. Lost everything. 
in the house of Meshur, but he got a call from the king many years later because of a covenant. A covenant. Is anyone from the house of Saul that I can show favor for my friend Jonathan's sake? Oh, I'm telling you, God remembers covenant. He remembers relationship. And you may be in a dry place this morning, but I'm telling you, there's a white stone, there's a grandmother, there's somebody in your past that reminds you of a covenant long ago. And today it's time for you to renew that covenant and walk in the freedom that was paid for long ago on a cross. That freedom's yours in Christ Jesus. You can be what God has called you to be and you're going to do what he said you would do because of the blood. Because the devil's been defeated in your life. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we worship this morning? First thing we're going to do is to take a shot at the devil. I'm going to give you an opportunity to switch teams. Leave the team of this world and join the team of the kingdom. How do you do that? It's real simple. You just repent of your sins and you make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's a template. Prayer won't, the template won't get you saved, but the nature of your heart will. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of forgiveness and acceptance. If you pray this prayer, the Bible says you're born again. So if you need Jesus this morning, you're tired of running, you're tired of being under the thumb of Satan, under this world's system, under principalities and powers and demonic activity, just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, please come into my life and save me. Please come into my life and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Don't rush by that one. You need the Holy Ghost, man. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. And use me for your glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to come to one of these pastors and say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. We've seen over 60 people do that since the first of the year. We've seen over 92 people come into covenant with this family. And we're working to disciple them every day. But maybe today you'd say, I'm tired of running. I want to be baptized. I want to make my profession of faith public. I'm tired of running. You ought to run down the aisle. You shouldn't have to wait till the music gets jacked up like in Central America. You got to sing for an hour and then thousands will come. God's moving, you ought to just come in just a minute. But for many of you, you're in a struggle, a health struggle, a financial struggle, an emotional struggle this morning. And we need to pray for deliverance for you. You need to go through deliverance. Now, some of it may take some time in private today or over the course of the next six weeks because of things that happened to you. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you looked at things, saw things as a child, and it still affects the way you are today. We're gifted in doing that here at Ibis House. We're not gifted in every area, but we're gifted at getting you free. Somebody say amen. But in just a moment, some of you may just need to come to one of us and say, listen, the devil's, the devil's 
all over me. And all we're going to do is we're going to plead the blood of Jesus over your life. We're going to rebuke the devil. We're going to remind him that he's a loser. And we're going to send him out the door. And you're going to be filled with love, hope, and grace. And be able to walk your purpose out. Somebody say amen. So when we start worshiping, you don't miss your moment. It's raining outside. You might as well get comfortable in the Holy Ghost. Stand on your feet today and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us the keys to your kingdom. Lord, thank you that we don't have to be under the thumb or the control of the devil because your son made us free. He's given us life. He's given us freedom. He's given us love. He's given us purpose. Father God, I break the back of the enemy today. And I remind you, Satan, you are a liar, murderer, thief, loser, and you were defeated at the cross. You have no legal standing in this place or in this sheet. I command you to leave. And I declare freedom over this ministry time, healing, salvation. Hallelujah. Brother Timmons told me, and I, I trust Brother Timmons. Many of you don't know him like you should yet. But he walks with a powerful anointing. I didn't bring him here to fit in. I brought him here to stand out. Because I've been with him. I've seen it. And he feels like there's a healing anointing in the air. He's got a gift to pray for those that need healing today. He really does. So if you need healing, you come to him today. And you receive your healing. Let us worship. Let us worship. Come if you need a miracle. Come if you need a miracle.